Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. Today, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Mr. Matt Mayberry, who is the co-founder and CEO of Trim. And it's Trim spelled T-R-Y-M, not I, correct? That is correct. <laughs> I just want to make sure people are right because I'm sure they're going to start making, oh, Trim, Trim. Anyway, <laughs> how's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah. Yeah, it's where we're just talking about the weather, how crazy it is. And we we both live in California, but you're in Marin, which is uh, San Francisco. I'm in, in the L.A. area. And it's warmer in Philly, where I'm from, than it is in, in L.A. And we have some crazy weather. Like There was a storm watch where it was hail and, and winds. Like this morning, I got out. It was literally in the 40s, pouring rain, thunderstorming, hailing. Like, I think I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, I was going to go out for a run today and uh, looked outside and it was like literally hailing, which I've only seen up here a couple of times. So pretty good excuse not to exercise, I guess. There you go. Um, all right. So we sort of started talking before this, but uh, let's let the audience know, where did you grow, grow up? So I grew up uh, outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, I moved to California in 2007. So I've been here ever since. Got it. And like family-wise, uh, uh, were your parents uh, together, uh, separated, siblings? Like, give me sort of a childhood picture. Yeah. Uh, classic suburban family. Parents were still together. Uh, 
two kids. I have an older sister. She's two years older than me. She's a college professor. Okay. And then, uh, so when you, uh, you went to school in, uh, uh, in California? Uh, so I got a construction engineering degree from Appalachian State, which is in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, Boone's a pretty cool town. It's in the mountains, uh, what we call mountains, at least in North Carolina. It's, you know, 3,000. The school's at 3333. Three, three, three. So, you know, the it, one of the higher parts of uh, the, the A Trail. But I actually met my wife in college. She went to UGA in Athens, Georgia. And uh, we did the long distance thing for a little while. I graduated a little bit before her, moved to Athens for a little bit. And then she was from California. So uh, once she graduated, we packed up, we moved to California and started out in San Diego, lived there for uh, till like 2010. And then uh, moved up to Laguna Beach, lived there for a year. And then we talked about, we actually moved to South Jersey for a year for a job that I had and then moved back uh, after one year to uh, the Bay Area. We've been in the Bay Area since then. Uh, since you brought it up and we sort of talked about it beforehand, uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm still mourning the Eagles' loss a little bit. I'm much better now, but you know, it's it's good. It, it it builds it builds character as an Eagles fan. We need those losses that are heartbreaking uh, losses, last second bullshit losses, and all that stuff. We need that. My daughter needed that to build some, uh, you know. Philly character, but you were saying that uh, uh, you ordered pizza one time. You were telling me that story uh, yeah. in uh, Cherry Hill. Yeah, so we had uh, basically just moved to Philly, and we didn't even have a. But by the way, by the way, I- I'm starting to interrupt, Matt. I just want the audience to understand that Jersey is actually divided into two halves. So South Jersey is like Eagle Country, and North Jersey is more like you know Giants uh, country. So when you're in Cherry Hill, it's basically a suburb of Philly. Yeah, everybody in South Jersey is a fan of every sports team. Really, well, most everyone in South Jersey is a fan of every sports team that exists in the sports complex in Philly. So it doesn't matter if it's you know the Phillies, the the Eagles, or the Flyers. Like usually, you see all three stickers on the back of their car. So. Uh, we had just moved to South Jersey, which is a suburb of Philly, essentially. So uh, we didn't even have our stuff unpacked out of the boxes. And we ordered a pizza, incredible pizza, by the way. Uh, but we ordered a pizza and the delivery guy showed up and he was like, what's the score of the game? And he looked kind of frantic. And uh, I was like, well, what game are you talking about? Like, you know, it was, the, it was not on my mind. <laughs> he was like, the freaking Eagles game, man. That <laughs> gave me this look like he couldn't believe that I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, so the next time we ordered pizza from that place, we made sure that we had the Eagles game on and I told him to score proactively. So to avoid like <laughs> that's getting spit in the pizza or anything like that. <laughs> exactly. Not that anybody would do that, but just in case. <laughs> <Of course>. right? <laughs> All right. So uh, you moved to from there, you moved uh, to San Fran and, you, you know, through your trajectory and your journey. And then uh, were you involved in solar? Was that is that correct that that was your background initially you were doing that yeah that's right so i mentioned uh i did construction engineering first so i started out more as like a field engineer and then uh i started to gravitate closer to product development in my career in solar and ended up going back to school got a computer science degree and uh ended up moving from field engineering into more like product engineering and then into uh product management so ended up 
essentially being kind of like the business side of product development over time. Okay. And uh, for solar, how did that, yeah. what was, what was uh, the solar part of that? So I uh, started out, I mentioned Laguna a little bit ago. Uh, yeah. When I moved from in, in San Diego, I was working as a civil engineer uh, right about the time I mentioned we moved to California in 2007 uh, for those that were, Working at the time, uh, you know that 2008, 2009 was a pretty bleak place to be. And being in the construction industry was even more bleak than any other part of well, many other professions, I guess you could say. So uh, I was doing a lot of work with Cal- California Transportation, which we call Caltrans here. And we started uh, basically getting the firm that I worked for started getting like IOUs from the state, like they weren't able to pay their bills. And that meant they weren't able to pay a lot of the engineers that worked for the firm. So it started looking like a pretty... Uh, bad profession to be in for the foreseeable future. So started looking at other opportunities and uh, still employed at the time, but started looking for other opportunities. And uh, what seemed like was taking off at the time was the solar industry. And uh, a lot of that was due to a lot of the incentives that Obama had put in place. He basically like built a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the solar industry as we think of it today with the incentives that he put in place. But uh, we got, I uh, got a really low paying job at a solar startup because it seemed like a really cool thing to do. And I'm, you know, passionate about, I spent a lot of time outside, really passionate about the environment and about trying to do what we can to, to chip in and uh, really liked it. Uh, ended up working my way up in that startup, got to the point where uh, they were trying to exit and, you know, I wasn't really sure where where I would land during that. So uh, started again, looking for other opportunities, found a job at a company called SunPower, which is publicly traded. Uh, at the time, they were around a $4 billion company with like six or 7,000 employees. Uh, NASDAQ is uh, SPWR. We uh, landed, a again, a relatively entry-level engineering job there. That's what moved me to Jersey. And uh, started just really, really fell in love with SunPower. They treated me really well. It's a great company. Uh, I actually have SunPower panels on the house that I'm sitting in right now. They, they build really good stuff and uh, uh, super innovative business. Uh, really enjoyed the the solar industry though. I think I did the math at one point. I was in the industry for like nine years. And from the day that I started, the last day that I worked in the industry, uh, it went, I think there was 300X, 300, like a factor of 300 times the number of solar panels installed in just from the year that I started to the year that I left. So like the industry was just taking off at the time. It was like a hockey stick, like straight up. Um, around 2017, 2016, actually, uh, the Prop 64 passed in California, though. And I was, I've been working at solar for almost a decade. I, it was awesome, but it was just kind of like starting to go a little stir crazy in the industry so started looking for other things and uh while i was living in north carolina going to school i was also like i guess at the time you would call it a commercial grower but it was super small scale for uh for where things are today uh but i, I had a lot of friends that kind of came out of that that area of north carolina that later went on to start really big companies uh in colorado and oregon and california and so i kept my my beat on that and uh so yeah, I don't want to jump ahead, but that's when I started thinking about no jump, <laughs> jump. I mean, that's that's exactly where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, we're just we're just having a conversation. I'm just curious because you you had this journey, and I, I was actually going to ask you 
so the trajectory from solar, then you got an account, like how did the cannabis, and you just basically said you were, you were growing yourself, but how did you actually start navigating into that? And then before we even get into understanding what trim is, how did you start identifying some of the gaps uh, that the industry had? And there's so many different gaps still in this industry because it's so fragmented and unregulated or overregulated. So maybe you can kind of shed some light on the, the next steps. Yeah. So the the time that I spent in college, I was I was growing. We had a three bedroom house, but we had plants in most of those bedrooms, and we were, uh, you know, that was pretty good way to make money at the time. Pounds were, you know, like three or four times worth. Uh, actually, more than that at this point, you know. Three to five thousand dollars a pound was like pretty standard at the point. So, uh, good money, and uh, you didn't have to grow very much to make a lot of it. And you know, so I had experience with that. But you know, we're talking about a very small scale here. Moved to California, uh, got into as I mentioned, civil engineering, eventually solar, and like kept in touch with all my friends that were were many of whom I had known since college uh, that were starting cannabis businesses. I'm a big fan of uh, fish, so I go see them pretty regularly and uh it's kind of like a homecoming for a lot of uh my friends from my college years and you know i'd see them i'd see them sometimes doing really well sometimes complaining about the industry but i was kind of focused on my own thing you know building my own career building my own uh family and when prop 64 came on the ballot in 2016 i started actually thinking like all right well i know about cannabis cultivation i've grown myself uh I've been successful commercially with cannabis uh, and I also have at this point, you know, a civil engineering degree and a uh, computer science degree. So maybe there's a way to like combine the engineering expertise that I have with and my product development experience with, with cannabis. So to your point, I started calling a lot of those guys that I knew, asking them what they were seeing in Colorado, what they were seeing in Oregon, California, uh, seemed from pretty, pretty, I guess, ubiquitously across all the states that I talked to people, everybody was thinking about scaling up. This is before a lot of the market started to uh, to come down, but everybody was thinking about scaling up, getting you know how to expand, how to hire more people, how to grow more, and how to maintain quality and you know increase yields while doing all of that. So I started asking about what their technology stack was, and generally speaking, it was pretty thin. Like you know, most people are still running their cultivation on spreadsheets, notebooks. Uh, phones, you know, it was it was patched together pieces of tech that they had available. And uh, what I was doing in solar is I was leading a product line that was focused on B two B, so like business to business technologies. And a lot of our customers were like Target and Macy's and Bed Bath and Beyond and that kind of thing. But the uh, the other side of our business was we sold uh, t- we sold <clears throat> to uh, residential businesses and I, I had some experience working with that as well and what we what we did in that scenario is we actually had kind of a direct team as well as well as a, a reseller network and I just recently worked on some uh, projects where we were actually building like internal tools to help us optimize deployments and things like that so I had I had experience building software for b2b applications and for managing like uh, I guess employees and, and and managing activities and so as I was listening to my cultivator friends tell me about these challenges they had in their business, I was thinking about like all of these things that we had just recently built for the solar industry that we might be able to apply over to this. On the other side, the uh, 
we also part of the product line that I managed was like deployed sensors and whole like Internet of Things uh, weather stations and all types of uh, kind of like dashboards that would tie all this information together. So as I heard about a lot of the challenges that my friends had, it was like there were a lot of them didn't have uh, the tools that they needed to really manage their team. A lot of them didn't have the insights that they needed to maintain the environment in their grow rooms. And there was kind of like looming recreational coming online or already online in, in a lot of the states that they were operating in. And there was this whole compliance element. So we started to think about, uh, I started to think about how we could leverage tech to, to solve those problems. And that's when I started uh, communicating with my wife, Karen, who was the one reason that I moved to California in the first place. Uh, she was a marketer and one of my good friends, uh, that I worked with was was Benjamin Wong. He uh, worked with me at SunPower in the product team, and uh, you know we started brainstorming a lot of the, these these conversations that I had been having with my my friends that were cultivators. And what I found through those conversations was uh, Benjamin actually used to commercially grow in uh, in Mendocino when he was in college. So we had uh, that in common, and from that point, we kind of decided this maybe we actually had something here, and we could we could build a company around it. Yeah, it's funny that like uh, you brought up. Uh, I used to, so I used to have a bunch of dispensaries. Uh, I was a partner in, and then uh, we had a cultivation facility and a delivery service as well. This prior to Rec being in place uh, under two fifteen and us before twenty, but we had we had our grower uh, Tom. You're talking about spreadsheets and, and piece of paper. It was just a joke because. Part of it, I think he didn't want anybody, master grower, he didn't want anybody to take his process and formulation. So he would just try to tell you and like write little notes and all that stuff. But there wasn't a system in place. And uh, the other thing is that meeting, you know, with uh, Emerald Triangle cultivators, it's it's what you what you envision it being in a way, you know, you know, guys with beards and they don't give a shit about, you know, technology. What do you mean? It's like, I don't want to be on the internet because they're going to find me. They, they still have this old school mentality. So part of it, I mean, and, and this is what I want to sort of get into with you. Like technology is fantastic. Well, you know, we have a technology uh, platform as well. Bob from Iowa gives zero fucks. Like he just wants to know what, what do I take? How much do I take and where do I get it? They don't care that there's science. That's the feedback that I get. On the cultivation side, yeah, absolutely. By taking your uh, taking your commercial cultivation to the next level, you have to have systems. You have to have technology in place. So how do you get this sort of balance between, you know, I have this innovative technology that's going to improve what you're doing to the, you know, the, the bearded guys is saying, hey, man. I don't, I don't really fuck with this. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, when we first started Trim, we were somewhat category defining, like nobody was doing what we were doing yet. And it was a lot of education about uh, what we were doing and why that actually would matter, like why you should implement a system like this. Uh, there was definitely resistance from a lot of the growers that you're talking about. It doesn't matter if they were the bearded Humboldt guy or the flat rim LA guy, they were like, you know, yeah, yeah. we've always done it this way. Why would we adopt this, this solution? And it, it definitely took some, some time for us to mature as a business and for the industry to kind of catch up to what we were trying to do. 
you know, they say the leading edge is the bleeding edge. And we we were definitely on the, the front of that for, for a good period of time. But once we started getting some, we, at first, like the first year, we just gave everything away for free. We were like, try it out, give us feedback. That's the best way to learn, right? So we had a very long beta for our mobile app that turned into a mobile app plus a web app. And uh, basically, we're just at, we would give new features out, hear feedback about how it was working, make changes, take more feedback and just cycle like that. Uh, over and over again for you know our we were delivering like probably multiple times on a weekly basis we still we still are five years later uh but that's uh i think a big part of it was this kind of like customer first mentality that we took was we although we had as i mentioned some some cannabis experience it was like we came about it from a very humble perspective that our customers know a lot more about this than we do and we need to listen to them and we need to listen to their concerns we need to listen to their their objections we need to listen to their desires and then try to put all of that into this product and along with that a lot of a lot of heart and a lot of tears went into it as well yeah i'm sure yeah now people think oh you're getting into the cannabis space that's that's you're going to be instantaneously instantaneously wealthy it's the green rush it's like somebody just told me today uh oh, man if i can remember the saying they said the fastest way uh to make money is is to not invest in the cannabis business and invest in something else that's that's a picks and shovels kind of thing but i I wanted to uh, go back to what you you were just saying i I think i didn't set this i didn't set it up correctly because i don't think we discussed what trim is so i'm going to ask that like I think I understand it, but let let the audience understand maybe what is trim and what is it what does it actually do? Trim is a cultivation software platform that uh, essentially helps you increase yields, simplify your compliance reporting, and better manage your team. Our overall objective is to help you make more money, so redu- uh, reducing complexity in your business. Uh, reducing the uh, operational expenses that you have and then ideally optimizing yields we like to say optimizing yields rather than increase yields the few growers that we work with they're like the last thing i need is more weed i just need like the higher quality with the amount that i'm already growing and uh we can help with that we've got a lot of really cool analytics built in uh as well but the way our system really works is there's three modules. There's a compliance module. We're integrated with Metric, which is the state regulatory system uh, of record in about I think 19 states now. Uh, so we're integrated with the compliance. This we're integrated with the state in 19 states at this point. Uh, we also have uh, a task and team management module, and that helps you you know communicate with your team, make sure everything that needs to happen happens when it's intended to happen. Uh, and then the last piece is we have what we call a precision ag module. And so that pulls in uh, pulls in data from wireless sensors that we actually sell ourselves or from uh, other environmental and control systems like Trollmaster, or Argus, or Priva. The combination of those three things allow you to really understand what goes into your harvest. So it's all of the inputs, you know, what happened when, who did it, how long it took, uh, all of the necessary compliance actions along the way. And then the environmental conditions and the irrigation strategy that you use to get there. And then at the end of the, once you've harvested, you can look at your analytics for by cultivar, by harvest, and you can see like 
okay, this is what's driving us to have this specific, you know, terpene profile, or this is what's driving increases in THC potency. Uh, you know, this is how we hit the most grams per plant, the most grams per square foot. So that's all of that. It, the, all of the things that we collect and all of the the things that we do along the way, although they're useful in their own right, it's really to help the business make better, like data driven decisions ultimately. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So much goes into it. I think people think about cannabis as like, what do you mean? It's a weed. Just put some seeds in dirt and it grows, right? And I think people don't understand the complexity. Uh, so maybe maybe you can kind of walk uh, us through the different variables. I'll try to set it up this way because I, I'm not a cultivator, even though I had a closet grow and all that stuff. And, you know, like back in school. And you know, like I said, we had a grow as well, but I wasn't the, the grower. So, but I've been in enough grows and I've been in a lot of industrial uh, cultivation facilities. So I think that people need to understand that the, the method of cultivation, how you grow is important. Uh, what is, where are you growing? Or is it indoor? Is it greenhouse? Outdoor canopy, all those things are important. Uh, what are the nutrients that you use? Uh, you know, CO two, uh, the the irrigation system that you're using, the lights that you're using. Like people don't think of the complexity of this thing. It's like you throw the seeds in the ground, the sun grows it, and then once you cultivate it, you have to actually understand. You were mentioning all the different factors. Well, I want the most yield per plant, but maybe I want the most expression of that yield per plant. So not only am I getting the highest amount of THC, maybe I can push 30%, but if I'm not expressing the terpenes, I may not have the same experience. So it depends on you know what the cultivator is looking for. And that's only one half of that. The next one is the cure, right? So you have to be able to make sure that you cut at the right time, you dry, you, you, you cure it in the right conditions as well. So and if I'm missing parts, which I'm sure I'm missing a lot, but I, I wanted to make sure that people understand that it is a very, very complicated process. And thinking what you just said, people writing notes and, and having spreadsheets, I mean, how many, how much room for error if you're doing, you know, whatever an ISO, you know, cultivation, a real, real precise SOPs. How many? How much room is there for error? Because you're, you're using humans without using technology. Uh, how do they know to replicate that? So I think the service that you're offering is fantastic to understand the best practices, what has worked based on the goals that you set up for your cultivation facility. Now you can replicate that over and over. Yes, it's still a plant. Yes, it's going to have its variables here and there. Even within a grow, you have one plant that's maybe has a little bit more nutrient, maybe a little more light hit it or something like that. Uh, so those are the things that I think are important for people to understand how complex it is and then where your software comes in with those modules to be able to guide people Maybe you can uh, elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, no, I think you did a great job explaining it. I mean, there's a ton of inputs to go into your. So we primarily work with, uh, you mentioned where you grow. We primarily work with indoor and greenhouse growers just as a function of like the, the functionality that we have within our system. So you're typically not going to see a lot of automated irrigation systems and sensors and things like that in outdoor environments. And then additionally, our system is in a cloud connected, you know, internet uh connected solution and so a lot of the like 
in the hills, Humboldt type grows are just not in a place that have really good Wi-Fi or or cell communication. So because of that, we we do have some, I don't want to say we don't work with outdoor farms. We do have a few outdoor farms that use our service, mostly for our compliance offering. Uh, but the I'd say the majority of our customers are indoor and greenhouse. And uh, in those scenarios, you know, you're replicating, this is controlled environment agriculture, CEA is the, the acronym that they use in ag. Uh, you're replicating the ecosystem that this plant lives in, in an indoor environment, and you're creating this like utopian environment where it's exactly the conditions that you want the plant to be exposed to. That being said, things can go wrong and, you know, the, you can have, you can switch out your lights or you can, you can switch out your irrigation strategy or you can switch nutrients and things can start to go a good or a, a negative direction. And so by not documenting all of those things, uh, that can lead to a lot of the, uh, the issues that you just mentioned. So as an example, with, uh, within our system, we have a system called workflows. So let's say, let's say you grow. I'm just going to say arbitrarily, like four different strains in your facility. You can, if each one of those has a different uh, kind of like task regiment that you would normally apply to it as the the plants grow, then you can have those tasks all uh, pre-scheduled within trim. And when you create a new group, let's say uh, you're growing like Mac, you know, you've got Miracle Alien Cookies that you, is like one of those four strains. Uh, You create a new batch, you can apply your Mac workflow to that. And then all of those tasks will automatically pop it on your team's calendar and they follow the plant through their life cycle and they're automatically assigned. Then as those as those tasks get done, you have that recorded back to that batch. So when you look at that harvest report at the end, you can see when they happen, who did it, all of that. Um, that's a lot of information that typically exists only in whiteboards or on spreadsheets. If you like, even today, when we bring on large facilities, uh, some of the biggest grows in the country are still running their business on whiteboards and spreadsheets. So uh, this digitizes all that information, puts it in one place, and then you can see what happened down the road. Similarly, with uh, sensor data, a lot of the that we talked about, like you change your irrigation strategy, which is going to be not just what nutrients you're feeding the plants, but also uh, the frequency, the duration, and the intensity that you're feeding them. So uh, if you do that, if you don't have a record of that, that or you... Uh, if you don't have a record of that, then that also you you don't necessarily know how irrigation strategy is is influencing the output that you're getting from your plants. So, uh, what we do is we have uh, substrate sensors, which are sensors that actually go inside the the soil or the you know cocoa or the rock wool, the substrate that the roots are growing in for the plant, and we monitor the uh, water content and the electrical conductivity, which is uh, basically. When the plants get fed, you can see a spike where the water content has gone up. And then if you're feeding nutrients with that, then you could also see an increase in electrical conductivity because the nutrients we feed have a higher uh, conductivity than, than water itself. So you can see all of these trends and you the you can translate those into the irrigation strategy that you're actually applying. Like you can see the pulse uh, of when you're feeding and how much you're feeding as a result of that. So uh, we can detect a lot of these things that are influencing the plants just through sensors themselves and not having people having to like manually write down like on this at this time we wrote the you know we uh at this time we fed this and then we changed it on this day we we can just automatically detect that with the uh the sensors themselves if you do have notes that you want to apply to that rather than having the like growers notebook that exists in the room uh we 
we have something that's basically a digital version of that that we call Growlog. So you can, we have a mobile app, you can walk through, you can snap a picture or something, you can write a note about it in your phone, it'll store it back to that same batch too. So we basically do everything on these batch records, these, these batches of plants. And then when you harvest them, that batch turns into a harvest. And uh, coincidentally, that's also the exact same things that you need to report to the state. So just by using trim in your normal style of cultivating, we're also uh, helping you manage your compliance as well. Yeah, I mean, just to give sort of an example, I'm so glad that you sort of uh, gave a lot more color and detail about that. Uh, so I have a biometric device that I wear. It's my my Endolink. So we do the same thing for uh, efficacy. Uh, we use you know remote uh, remote monitoring, so those biomarkers go up to the cloud. And then we use machine learning to make predictive inferences. But all the data seamlessly goes up there so we can kind of see what your biomarkers are. Very similar to what you, you would do for, for the plants, uh, you know, biomarkers as well. Uh, so I, I'm going to flip back a little bit because I didn't get into the detail of this enough, I feel. Starting the company itself. So you you come up with a concept uh, and you have you know your your friend and uh, your your wife and you have some resources. Like how how do you start a uh, a business like this? What is what are the natural steps? Is it is it as easy as like I'm just going to put together a business plan, some powerpoints, and uh, go out and start building this? Because it sounds like there's a lot of resources that are involved in actually building this out. Then you have to go out and sell it. And it's not the easiest thing to sell in initially because you need a little bit of success story. And you were saying, you, you know, giving it out. So now you can get feedback that it's working. But what, what's the actual process of building this business? Because I'm sure it's very easy because in the cannabis space, everything is easy. So I just wanted to get your feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I can say just as a little bit of foreshadowing, it was much harder to start than I thought it was going to be. Uh so I worked, as I mentioned, for a big corporation and, you know, we, we basically, we would come up with product ideas all the time. We would pitch them to our management. We would get funding if they agreed that it was something that would make us some money. Uh, we would put together a team internally of engineers. We would deliver the product. You know, if we needed manufacturing lines, we would spin them up. So I, I thought I had experience doing this. Um, and it was somewhat shocking how different it actually was when trying to do it on your own. Uh, finding your own resources. You know, we bootstrapped for a really good amount of time. Benjamin, Karen, and I uh, took like home equity loans against our house to fund this initially. Uh, so, you know, we went all in. So, well, let me let me back up. I'm jumping to like the, we're already committed. So I mentioned, we, we were talking about growers. We came up with this idea. We felt after talking to a fair amount of cultivators, we probably talked from 2000. November of 2016 is when Prop 64 passed. And then we went through the entire year of 2017 with still building out the idea. So we we were still working, gainfully employed, uh, never realized how amazing a paycheck was until there wasn't there anymore. <laughs> um, gainfully employed, using you know nights and weekends to kind of put together what this product should be. Uh, wild ideas. Like we, we were going to build the world, right? So we... Uh, during that time, though, we were touring any cultivation facility we could get into. We probably toured like, I don't know, 100 facilities that year. We were just talking to anybody that would talk to us, anybody that had a plant in the ground and they want, they would talk to us. We were talking to them and learned a lot about the industry, learned a lot about what growers needed, really crystallized what we thought the product needed to be. Um, and then 
by 2018, we were ready and we felt convinced enough that we could go in all in on this, but we needed funding. So uh, we didn't we we didn't have anything. We didn't have, you know, we had really rough lines of code written that I had written myself. We had um, some sensors connected in a couple of grows, uh, but we we were still super early. So we didn't think we were going to be able to sufficiently raise money. So uh, we took out home equity loans on our on our houses. We quit our jobs and started paying ourselves out of our own bank account. Uh, I initially was the only software engineer and Ben was managing hardware and Karen was managing anything customer facing. She was calling, you know, outbound, calling people, receiving inbound calls, uh, doing our website, doing anything that had like the image of trim to do with it. Uh, Once we had a, rough prototype we outsourced and started getting we had some polish developers we started working with because i realized that i was never going to be able to build this before we ran out of money so we decided to accelerate it uh both accelerate burning money as well as building the software and uh we brought on some developers we were paying you know third-party developers directly out of our own bank accounts realized pretty quickly that we needed to bring them onshore we needed people that understood cannabis uh Brought on some contractors, many of which are, are still with us. Uh, got to a point where we could actually deliver something to some customers. Uh, once we got it, uh, we launched a mobile app first. As I mentioned, we started getting feedback on that. Uh, pretty quickly realized we needed a, a web app. And that is also about the time where we were realizing that uh, the money that we had was not going to last nearly as long as we thought it was going to last. So we needed to figure out how to start raising some money. And that, that was like a whole another problem that we had to tackle. So how did you tackle that? Uh, <laughs> or is it still a work in progress? It's, still, it's always, I mean, actually right now is probably the first. It's funny, Matt. So oh, one thing, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I think I interrupted what you were saying. Just just a, a thought flew in my head. So our, our uh, initial investors, uh, like for our Series A, the, the, the chairman, the board of CEO of that company, now he's the, the chairman, told me, so yeah, man, you know, raising money as, as a CEO of the company, uh, you know, I'm I'm now gonna focus on uh, business development, all that stuff. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, you know what the job of the CEO of a company is? It's always to raise money. You'll be raising money forever, as long as you have a company. So I'm like, yeah, 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 right. But he's absolutely right. Always raising money. It is true. I think this is the first time in five years that I'm not actively raising money, and it's uh, it feels good. Like I'm actually able to Congrats. work on the company. You know. We, uh, yeah, the, I, someone, uh, Travis from Growflow, the, the CEO of Growflow told me this, that, uh, ubiquitously known, but he was the first one to, to share it with me that the CEO has three jobs, hiring and retaining great people, corporate strategy and keeping money in the bank and keeping money in the bank is either getting to a place where you're cash flow positive or raising money or some combination of the two. Um, but it's funny when you, you know, I know so many founders at this point of operators and ancillary businesses. And it's like, uh, I think about all the jobs that we do every day that are not those three things. So you have to do those three things in addition to like managing all the other departments that you manage and, you know, going and visiting customers and, you know, telling them you're sorry when you screw up and, you know, trying to, uh, manage all the, the, yeah, there's a lot. So, um, yeah, I don't remember where you're going with this. I think Ac- accountability. Account. Well, I was just asking you uh, how, how you actually 
got raised oh, yeah, money and yeah. all that stuff. But uh, you, you're absolutely right about the accountability part. You are, as long as you're the face of the company in, in some sort of way, uh, you can celebrate the wins, but not yourself. You celebrate the team wins. But when there's a fuck up, you take the hit and you're accountable. So you deal with the, the negative and then you praise the rest of the team for the positive. So Yeah, that's, that's 100%. That's right? a, not, yeah. So you raise money. Uh, yeah, we more successfully recently than, than initially, uh, you know, that first check is really that like proof of concept, right? You have to, you have to have money to, to raise money. Right. So we, um, yeah, we started out, uh, we did kind of like a friends and family kind of round, I guess you could say. Uh, and then we started getting, we got a couple of angel investors on, uh, we got pretty lucky with introductions from like people that I knew from previous companies, people that one of my neighbors introduced us to somebody that gave us a pretty big check. Uh, we, you know, it was a lot of no's. Like I, when I first started, it was, I was going about it the, whole, the completely wrong way. Like I was like the similar to sales, like people have to kind of know that they want to buy something. Cold outreach is really hard, right? I can literally, I, I, we never got a check from cold outreach, but I was, hit in the LinkedIn and hitting like any angel group, you know, I was blasting off pitch deck after pitch deck and nothing was coming. Like it was crickets. I kind of, in my head, it was like, we're going to put together this amazing pitch deck. We're going to send it off to all the Sand Hill road investors. And they're just going to be knocking our door because cannabis is such a huge opportunity. And this is so new, you know, nothing's going to stand in the way. And we did that and it was not, there was just crickets. <laughs> no, nobody was pounding on the door. So that's when I started to realize, oh man, like we, at this point, we've already quit our jobs. We've taken out pretty hefty financial investment ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we, we took on some money from people that we really respect and care about, you know, friends and family. And, uh, you know, we were, I, I, I did start to get nervous, but, uh, really was just going about it the wrong way, the, the right way to do it. And I wish somebody would have told me this, uh, the right way to do it is to not throw yourself in front of a bunch of investors. The right way to do it is to, find a way to meet with as many founders in the space that you're in and, and connect with them and get re build relationships with them and find out who invested in them. And then once you're friends with them and you're, you're, you know, on good terms, you can start to say like, would you mind introducing me to so-and-so and getting a warm introduction versus just blasting off pitch decks is like such an obvious thing when you think about like relationship building and networking um, but I, I didn't do that. And once we started doing that, once we started building these relationships with other founders and really starting to, uh, to understand the industry better and understand what, who all the players were and, and, you know, understand how we could becoming friends with these founders also helped us differentiate against other software systems and also helped us say like, oh yeah, we, somebody would say, how do you stack up against this piece of software? And we'd say, oh, I know the founder over there really well. We're actually talking about integrating. So like you could it not only fostered introductions, but it also fostered a uh, like an ability to talk just more cogently about the industry and about the other players really well. Um, once we started doing that, we started getting kind of the right the right dialogue going with investors. We got on our first uh, what you call institutional investors from from venture capitalists, and uh, then once we got a couple of those checks in, it was easier. They they started providing uh, introductions to us. To, to other investors. And that's like the golden ticket. You know, once you have one investor introducing you saying, we already invested in these guys, 
we did our diligence. They're good guys, or there's a good, they're a good team. Um, you know, that things start to really move, but yeah, we did a safe round, which is a structure, uh, structured agreement for future equity in 2019, 2020, we did a preferred round, which was like our series seed. Um, and then 2021, we did a, uh, another convertible note. And then this past year, we, uh, we did another preferred round. So we've, for four of the five years that we've been a company, it's been pretty much, uh, hitting the, hitting the investor inbox and, uh, you know, doing the rounds with, you know, you probably get, I, I don't know what the ratio is, a hundred no's for everyone. Yes. Probably something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so just time consuming because you, you, you don't really know. So you, you're spending a lot of time with people who may not be the right person either. So understanding like, you know, getting getting the signals after a while, like, yeah, you know, this person isn't, maybe the, all they're doing is trying to get information. Maybe they don't, they're not really interested in investing. So it makes total sense. So where is the company currently at? Like, what's the state of the company? And where do you see yourself going in the future? Like, what are some of your goals? Yeah, so at this point, I mentioned we're integrated with with Metric primarily. Um, that gives us relatively nationwide reach uh, for our compliance offering. We do operate essentially in any state that has uh, an industry, a cannabis industry we can operate in. Uh, we just kind of carve out that uh, compliance aspect in those states. And we have numerous customers that are they're using us in states that are not uh, states that utilize metric for state compliance. Um, but we're we're still other than uh, Puerto Rico, we're we're still essentially like con- confined to the continental U.S. We have we have one Alaska customer and one Puerto Rico customer. Um, so we, you know, we do hope to capitalize on the, the the global market. I think there's a a lot of really cool stuff going on in South America right now. I think there's some really exciting stuff going on in Europe. I think Germany is going to be a really cool market. Uh, I think that there's going to be a really fast market too because of the way some, they're making some really uh, smart improvements on on kind of how we did things here to to fast track the market there. So you know we do we do hope to expand. Our goal is to be the like de facto industry leading cultivation software for the cannabis industry. Um, yeah, we have had interest from other crops. We get calls from lettuce farmers and tomato farmers from time to time, and you know we have contemplated doing that. But for right now, uh, you know we're we're focused really on just dialing in what we do for for cannabis and making sure that we don't compromise on on what we're building. So, well, one more question about the uh, the software itself. Once you get best practice information, do you then share that back with like, uh, let's say I'm starting a grow and I'd like to know, do you have any data on what I should put in the ground or like what I should. Uh, uh, you know, which seeds I should use or which clones are best, what has worked best. So maybe you can help me strategize on how to create that. Do you, do you share that information back? So our perspective is the grower's data is the grower's data. So we want to make sure that we're not, you know, th- this this comes from the conversation we were having previously about the master growers, like worried about we're going to steal their, their secret sauce. Like we never want a customer to think that we're going to, Take their perfect recipe and you know, and then we're gonna we're gonna monetize that. So uh we will never use a grower's personal recipe and do anything with it. So uh in our system, generally speaking, the best data that a grower is gonna get from trim is their own data. And it's just a refactor of it and putting it into 
like visualizations that make it easier for them to understand it. Um, with that being said, we do uh, we do have the ability to use aggregate and anonymous data. So let's say like you wanted to compare the outputs that you're going to get from an LED light versus an HPS light. We we technically could derive that out of the data that okay. we have. Yeah. Similarly, like if we wanted to look at like uh, do yields of this particular strain change in a greenhouse environment seasonally, then we could we could derive that across all of the people that have grown that particular strain. So like. There are ways that we can leverage the data that we have right now. Our data set is, uh, the data set that we have is global and it exists and, and we could derive those types of uh, insights from it, but we are still primarily focused on uh, delivering insights to the grower from their own data. Um, but there is this opportunity for more global like data utilization that I mentioned, but with the caveat that we will always protect the grower's information so that they don't feel that we're yeah. like, you know, because they're, they're paying us for a service. Like we don't, they're, they're, it would be ridiculous if we. Oh, no, you know. this industry. Yeah. It's, it's clear because I, there was, there was a company already that was accused of doing that and they got, you know, uh, I, I don't want to mention who they are. I, I that, they were, that was happening right the, when we launched. A, and so it was, it starts with a P yeah. while well, I was working for a company, I was working with a company called medicinal genomics at that time. And uh, the chief science officer, Kevin McKernan had this personal feud with that person on the other side with that company that starts with a P. So uh, I was in the middle of all that stuff too. And that's the industry is huge, but it really isn't. It's really small. And that, those types of things get around really, really quick. So I, I, I can see where you're going with this because, you know, from our standpoint, using, you know, our technology, we can go back to cultivators and let them know from an efficacy standpoint, you know, people do better with a formulation with higher linalool and beta creophan that have these, kind of, you know, something of that nature, general feedback, we can go back, but, you know, never, never reveal the secret sauce. Basically, that we'll, we'll keep that uh, under wraps. So, I have a question for you about a world record that I read somewhere. You have a, a world record for uh, for sales or some of that? Oh uh, no, this was uh, <laughs> yeah, back in solar. Uh, this is actually pretty cool. So uh, we, I'm going to use a little bit of industry jargon, but I'll explain it. So, in the solar industry, there, uh, I was in commercial solar, right? So we were deploying huge amounts of solar panels on like it, like and you're flying into any airport you see these huge like distribution centers and big box retail stores and that kind of thing most of them uh 15 years ago did not have solar panels on them but now in most states when you're flying in you see solar panels on the, on the top of them right so the, a lot of the systems that i was working on were these what we called flat roof technology products and uh because solar was was being deployed at that like hockey stick uh kind of growth rate we needed to figure out how to get systems down as quickly as possible and as low cost as possible. And so we came up with this uh, this product that was one of my multi-year brainchilds when I was at SunPower called Helix. Uh, and a component of that was a, a mounting system for solar panels that was completely ballasted. So that the ballasted technology means you don't actually attach it to the roof. You use weight to keep it on the roof. So you resist the wind loads. That already existed, but we basically improved on a ballast system to make it to where you didn't need any tools to put it together. It would just basically snap together. And uh, that solution that we came up with uh, was 
an idea. Uh, I was a product manager, so it was an idea that I helped conceive. And then we had an engineer that was working on the product called Brian Wares. His name was Brian Wares, uh, one of the most incredible mechanical engineers that I've ever worked with. Uh, he was the engineer that worked on the, the product from essentially start to finish. Uh, once we finished that project, we realized that we had to, we were just testing it in the lab at the at the Sun Tower facility. We were like, dude, this is going together really fast. So we decided to to test it. We got a third party that actually runs these tests. It was a it was a, a third party engineering and and kind of a, a scientific research type facility. Uh, they had already tested a few other competing systems for uh, installation rates, and we I think tripled the the one the the record that they had previously with the new installation rate. Uh, so it was pretty awesome. We we got a you know unbiased team. They read the installation documents, went out there and just absolutely slaughtered the previous record. And uh, so we had the world's fastest uh, installation rate for solar panels after that. I think we still hold That's the so record. Cool. Yeah, at this point. I think that's super cool. Yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, I didn't know if there was a Guinness World Book of Records I was trying to look for, but... Yeah, so we actually did contact Guinness. Um, there, There is a <laughs> non-trivial fee to get a Guinness World Record as a business. <laughs> right? Like, if you're a person and you grow, like, the longest fingernails, that's free. Uh, if you're a business and you uh, and you want to get a world record, they, they, there's a non-trivial fee. So uh, I couldn't convince my management that it was worth getting Guinness out there. Uh, but we did uh, have a third-party validated record that was set from that. Well, that's really yeah. cool. All right. So I have a few questions I ask all my guests at the end. Uh, and uh, the first question is, please describe your first experience with cannabis. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do remember my first time using cannabis. It, it was uh, probably younger than I want to say on, on the podcast, but uh, we were uh, like on a, there's this, there's a uh, a lake outside of the town I grew up in and we were on this dock outside the lake and there was like, it was nighttime and somebody had brought like some crappy bowl with some ditch weed <laughs> at the time. It was like amazing though. <laughs> we were just sitting in a circle, like, you know, pass it all around. And I just remember the first time I didn't, I was never until I got to college, I like really never cared about alcohol and uh, tried cannabis really young and just really liked it. So I, uh, yeah, it was like right then that I was like, man, I, I, you know, I'd only seen it in like movies and kind of jokingly. And it's, right. it's nothing. I mean, it's, there's some elements of truth to the way they, they, they depict it in, in cinema, especially now they've gotten better about the way they depict it. But uh, yeah, I was like, this is, this is pretty cool stuff, man. So instantly fell in love with it. Then, you know, got figured out how to get it myself, uh, started buying weed. And as soon as I found out that when you break it apart there, that I, the weed I was growing, this, this probably dates me because I'm yeah, buying weed that kids these days have no idea what it's like to come up and actually have to buy ditch weed. Right. But we, uh, <clears throat> the weed that I was getting break it apart there were seeds in it i was like oh there's seeds of this and you know be being an inquisitive kid i was like i'm gonna stick it in the ground so instantly like as soon as i started buying weed i started growing weed trying to figure out what i could do with it and you know the first few times i had no idea what i was doing and the internet wasn't really a, a useful tool yet definitely not something you wanted to type in like how do you grow marijuana at the time which is what yeah. we would call it but <laughs> uh i i did my best to figure it out i got uh eventually got the Jorge Cervantes and uh, Ed Rosenthal books and started piecing together and actually having some good looking weed. And uh, yeah, so that was 
early early on that was my first experience and you know about as quickly as i i smoked it i also started trying to figure out how to how to make it myself love it all right so i'm a a big music guy so i have a couple of music questions and you already mentioned fish so i'm assuming uh, you're into music too uh do you remember what the very first concert that you ever attended was <laughs> it's a toss-up uh it was either one that i went to this is going to be also embarrassing uh <laughs> so it, I either, it was either Billy Joel with my parents or it was, um, new kids on the block with my sister. <laughs> and I felt, well, there's only one of those that's embarrassing. Yeah. Billy Joel Billy rocks. Joel rocks. <laughs> but that's why I hesitate to say the second one. I don't remember it, but my parents told me that we went and I fell asleep during the show, which is shows you my enthusiasm for new kids on the block. Yeah. But I was like five or something during that. But, uh, the first concert I went to like on my own that I elected to go to was, uh, no doubt, Soul Coffin Bush, and I remember it being pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah, Soul Coffin. That's funny. Uh, I haven't heard that name in a long time, in a few right? Years. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the last concert that you attended? Oh, um, I just took my. So I mentioned I'm a fish fan. I've been trying to get my son into the music I like, unsuccessfully. Um, so he's he's developed a, an interest in this band called Fits and the Tantrums. They. Uh, they have that song hand clap that's pretty famous uh he's like a big fan though he's 11 now uh so for christmas i got him tickets to go see him at the regency ballroom in san francisco and it's funny because i've i've taken him to shows tried to get him into it but it's it's my music which he thinks is lame and taking him to see his music he loved it but that was the most recent concert i went to it was i took him to see this band that he really likes and it was it was a really fun experience yeah it's, it's i remember when my daughter was I want to say eight, maybe eight, nine. She's 18 now, but uh, she was a huge Justin Bieber fan. I think you were eight-ish, and, and she still is. Oh, she wanted to go to Justin Bieber concert so bad. That was her, a dream. And I said, I will take you, but I'm going to take you to a real concert first. So I took her to Jane's Addiction and Alice in Chains before she got a chance to go. But we did go to Justin Bieber too afterwards, but at least she got a, uh, a chance to see, you know, real my music, real music. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? Yeah, it's that's a really good question. I mean, I would say that I am, I, I really, from the first time I used it, I, I mentioned like I, it's, I knew it was something that was an additive to my life. So, like, it, it was, you know, you, you hear this impression. As a kid, I came up during the dare years, you know, and it was like, you smoke one joint, you're, you're done, you know, your life's gone. And the first time I did it, I was like, that's all bullshit. This is like a huge positive thing. Uh, so it's been a really positive con contribution, both creatively and uh, great, healthy alternative to alcohol. Um, it's also it, coming up, seeing a ton of live music, you know, it, it's, it's great to set a social vibe. Uh, and now it's my profession. So, you know, I, I remember like my dad finding like a digital scale with weed all over it when I was in high school. And he was like, you're going to ruin your life with this. And I was like, it's going to be legal, dad. And he was like, not in my lifetime. And now I'm like, you know, look at me now, dad. <laughs> oh, man, I I could talk to you about that for hours because, uh, you know, my my parents, uh, it's, it's in my book uh, is why I wrote uh, about that. But my my parents actually ended up calling the cops on me, kicking me out of the house. But the irony of it is 
that consume products now that we manufacture. So it came full circle and tell people, hey, you should call Len, you know, for your thing. So it's uh, it's interesting how that propaganda seeps in the brains of people and takes so long to be able to uh, get it straightened out with, you know, the, the work that you guys are doing, work other people are doing that remove the stigma because it is, uh, you know, it is medicine, it is a therapeutic product. All right, so final question. Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. Oh, man. I, uh, I've always been very arty. So, like, my parents uh, afforded me a lot of freedom with that. So, uh, I, I had my closet doors and pretty much anything that was a flat surface covered in, in, in creations that I had made. Uh, definitely wasn't the cleanest kid. Um, it was kind of like a uh, science experiment when I decided to clean my room. <laughs> so uh, both my parents worked a lot uh, and I, I had probably a little more freedom than, uh, than they, they knew <laughs> I didn't, I took advantage of it. Uh, but yeah, my, <clears throat> I was really into punk rock and uh, drum and like electronic music, drum and bass fish. I was, that was pretty eclectic in my music interest, but uh had a ton of records uh, as well, turntables, that kind of thing. Uh, did you have uh, any posters uh, on the walls or anything like that? Uh, I'm sure I did. A lot of, I, I maybe this is, it sounds a little vain, but most of the stuff I had up on the wall was stuff that I'd made myself. Uh, so yeah, a lot of art, framed art, that kind of stuff. Got it. Cool. All right, Matt, where can people find out more about Trim, contact you or anything else to social media, anywhere else that they can find you and, and engage? Yeah. Um, our website is trim, T-R-Y-M dot I-O. And you can email us at info at trim dot I-O. Uh, we're also on Instagram as uh, trim tech. Actually, it might be trim dot tech now. I should probably know that. <laughs> they'll find you. you. They'll, go, they'll go search. <laughs> yeah. We'll go search and find you. It's Trim that something you you can look it up. You'd before. be surprised. We're like mostly shadow banned. So. Oh, oh uh, I'm not surprised. We're shadow banned. We don't touch the plant at all either. But uh, uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah. We, get shadow we are trim dot techno. Sorry, our, we used to be trim tech without the dot, and we got deleted at like ten thousand followers. Um, so here we are, uh, less than that as trim dot tech. Well, you're going to be able to advertise on Twitter. Uh, I heard so. <laughs> Elon is allowing that. No sales, but you can uh, advertise. And I think uh, there's one of the, the bigger cannabis companies jumped all over that. So I wonder what that was all about, but that's for, for another show. Uh, Matt, hey man, great meeting you. Thank you so much for being on. Appreciate what you're doing. I think anything like this helps legitimize the industry itself and uh, gets us out of this, uh, uh, the dark ages. Like, uh, you know, all the, piece of paper and uh, you know all that stuff so I, I appreciate what you're doing for the industry and you know thank you so much for being on yeah thank you it's been a really fun time thanks for listening to today's show to check out more great cannabis podcasts go to podconnects.com here's a preview of one of our other shows hey everyone it's ryan from the cannabis connoisseur podcast if you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include 
cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.